What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Keyboard Kimura platform. I am E. Spencer Kite, here for the UFC 288 Punch Drunk Predictions. I'm excited to be back doing this. This is something I have done throughout my career. And a couple of days ago, actually, uh, May 3rd, was the 14-year anniversary of my first launching of Keyboard Kimura. It originated way back in the day. Uh, it was several cities ago for me. It was several homes ago. For me, back in Kimberly, British Columbia, uh, just got back from getting married, launched a blog and just started writing about MMA, focused myself into MMA. 14 years later, here we are up on YouTube, up on Substack, the QR code up in the corner so you can subscribe to that Substack, jump on uh, onebonebrand.com as well to check out the boys and represent them, get yourself some good fits, use promo code ESK20, it's my initials, ESK, and the number 20, to get yourself a tasty little discount at checkout. Believe me, look, I'm, I'm wearing it again. I wear it every day. I wear their stuff every day. Trust me, it's it's the best. It's the best stuff I've found. I'm happy to be here, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm pumped to be back. I'm pumped to be back doing this on, on my own platform. And again, as I said at the start of the week, that's no disrespect to Sean and Graham and all the lads over at Severe. I loved my time there, but there's something about doing it myself and solo that just motivates me and fires me up in a different way. And so we're here and we're doing our first set of picks back on Keyboard Kimura, back as the Punch Drunk Predictions, which has been the name for my predictions piece from the get-go. So during my time at Severe, I took the last couple of weeks off, as you know, didn't make any picks, didn't put any out there. So during this year at Severe, I went 81, 65, and 3 over the course of events all the way through to UFC Kansas City, Max Holloway defeating Arnold Allen. That's a .544 win percentage, well below what I want to do. I aim to get 70% or higher, so a 700 winning percentage or higher. That is well below. I don't like it. It's not the reason I'm clearing the boards, but we're going to clear the boards. We're going to start fresh here at Keyboard Kimura. I don't know. For me, it's just a mental thing. For me, it's just a reset, right? Everything about this, this week, coming back here, has been a reset. So we're going to reset the numbers on both the predictions. We're going to reset the numbers on the betting show, which is coming up after this. I also wanted to wait, and I'm going to start doing these Friday mornings as I am today. It's about 10.15 here in Abbotsford. And I'm going to do them on Friday mornings so that weigh-ins can be done, so that we know who's made weight, missed weight, if there's fights that have fallen out, things like that. So I can give you the best, most accurate representation of my thoughts, my ideas, my selections. And with that being said, it's time to get after it. Main event of UFC 288, bantamweight title on the line, Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. I'm picking Ann Still. I'm picking Aljamain Sterling. A big part of why that is, is just the layoff. Not only do I worry about just a three-year layoff is a, is a difficult thing for anyone to come back to, full stop, no matter what level. Then you add in that Henry Cejudo is coming back at the apex level of this division against a fighter in Aljamain Sterling that has done exceptionally well, comes in on an eight-fight winning streak. And even if you want to look at that, first fight with Piotr Jan and say, oh, disqualification, it's not quite fine. Let's just throw that one out. Seven straight wins. 
What else, what else do you got here? What, what more do you need to see from this dude? I love Corey Sandhagen. He subbed out Corey Sandhagen in 90 seconds. I thought TJ Dillashaw was going to beat him. He made quick work of TJ. Now TJ was injured. Fine. Still did what he needed to do. Still handled business. And he's been handling business all the way through. The other piece of this, and I don't remember where the tweet originated, the original tweet that, that populated this, but I saw a tweet from Luke Thomas yesterday talking about fighters that are 35 years of age and older competing for UFC titles. And it's something like two in 15 is the record. And the two wins are Tyron Woodley when he was welterweight champion. And that's a piece of this to me. One of the things that I talked about with Elliot Marshall on the coach conversations piece, which is up on the UFC website right now was just that athleticism and that, that age concern, right? That overall age amount of experience, amount of competitiveness that Henry Cejudo has had throughout his career, throughout his lifetime, that you can't really just carry that forever. It starts to go at some point. Now, there is a very real possibility that Henry Cejudo is one of those very rare athletes that is able to maintain that and carry that through no matter his age, later into life. We're seeing it in guys in the NFL, right? We're seeing Tom Brady at 45. We're seeing Aaron Rodgers at 38, 39. But we haven't necessarily seen it in combat sports, especially in these lighter weight class classes where athleticism and dynamism and those things really tend to rule the day more than the higher weight classes where power and physical strength and brawn, generally speaking, can get you through. And so because I don't know what version of Henry Cejudo we're going to get, whether he is the guy that put Dominic Cruz out in the second round, whether he is 80% of that guy, 60% of that guy, 50% of that guy, Eileen Sterling. But it's also because what I've seen from Aljamain Sterling and the things that I know he's capable of. And this was another point that Elliot made that I agree with very much so in the coach conversation piece is that Aljamain Sterling might be the best back taker that we have in MMA right now. And when he gets there, when he gets to that position, when he gets to back mount, that's the round. And he's winning that round. And if he can do that three times to Henry Cejudo, that's the fight. All he has to do is not get finished in there. And I don't mean that in that he's going to evade and not look to engage in things of that nature. But Aljo is a very smart fighter, high IQ fighter, been in there with very good competition throughout his career. And I think there's a way, and I think he's going to be able to go out there and out grapple Henry Cejudo because this isn't a straight wrestling match. This isn't Henry's accolades versus Aljo's accolades. This is MMA. And Aljamain Sterling is one of the best MMA grapplers that I've seen in terms of knowing how to get to where he wants to get to and then dominating from there. And I think that's what we see on Saturday. We move to the co-main event. Bilal Muhammad Gilbert burns five rounds in the welterweight division. And that five rounds is an important piece for me in picking Bilal Muhammad. I do think there are going to be moments where Gilbert Burns looks great and probably has Bilal Muhammad in trouble. I would not be at all surprised if Gilbert Burns wins this fight. I can see him getting a finish. I can see him winning on the scorecards. I can certainly see the Brazilian getting the victory, cementing himself as the next title challenger in the welterweight division. But the thing I see 
more frequently when I think about how this fight plays out, when I think about the dynamics of this matchup, especially given that Gilbert Burns fought four weeks ago and that he fought in January as well. So this is his third fight in basically five months of this year. Is Bilal Muhammad in his face, taxing that gas tank, constant pressure, constant forward movement, relentlessness that we've seen over these last four fights of the winning streak over these last nine fights overall, just coming forward and being in a spot where Gilbert Burns eventually wilts. I don't think it's going to be quick as we saw with Sean Brady, right? First round of the fight with Sean Brady, Bilal starts putting him on his heels. And over the course of that second round, Bilal really piles up and really goes over the top and gets the finish in that second round. I don't think it's going to look that way, but I do think over the course of having these five rounds into the third round, and then especially into the fourth and fifth round, if he's able to avoid damage, if he's able to avoid getting stuck in bad spots, I think Bilal Muhammad is just a juggernaut. I think he is just that tidal wave that rolls over you. And he's figured out for himself during the course of this unbeaten run dating all the way back to his loss to Jeff Neal, where he tried to do some stuff that wasn't really in his wheelhouse. He's figured out what he needs to do and how to deploy his skills, his talents, his abilities best. I think he does that on Saturday, gets a victory, secures himself the title shot that he has merited for a couple of years now and puts himself right there waiting to face either Leon Edwards or Colby Covington, either towards the end of this year, if one of them can make a quick turnaround after an October fight, if that's when it happens, or in the first half of next year. Move to the strawweight division, Jessica Andrade versus Jan Zhaonan. My pick here is Jessica Andrade, and I actually think this is going to be sort of a reminder of how dangerous Jessica Andrade is. There are a bunch of questions about where she's at and how she's going to perform after that fight with Aaron Blanchfield. And that's understandable, right? Andrade comes out, takes that fight on short notice, goes out, is throwing. It's it's her typical style, but she was a little more wild in her approach. Gets finished in the second round. Seemed like she kind of checked out a little bit. And she's talked about, she had a little bit of a wardrobe malfunction. Mentally, she just lost her focus. And Aaron Blanchfield is really good. I think, as I said earlier in the week, that this is the right division for her. This is the best place for her. And I think we're going to see a kind of turn back the clock performance from Bate Estaka. I think Yan Jonan is a good fighter, but I don't think she is a true legitimate contender. I think she's someone that likes to beat you with fundamentals and technique on the feet. And I just don't know that she's going to be able to hold up to the power, to the pressure, to the violence, frankly, of Jessica Andrade. I think we see an elevated slam. I think we see big shots to the body. I think we see the best version of Jessica Andrade, the version we are used to, the version that battered Lauren Murphy in Brazil earlier this year. She gets back in the win column. She sticks around this division and stakes her claim to a title opportunity in the future. Move to the featherweights. Mavsari Vloyev and Diego Lopez. This one's pretty straightforward to me. The pick is obviously Mavsari Vloyev, and I do think it is going to be quite dominant. That's not a knock on Diego Lo Lopez. 
I think he's a solid fighter. I'd be interested to see his next fight in the UFC. But four days notice to face an undefeated 29-year-old Russian, 16-0 overall, 6-0 in the UFC, full complement of skills. This should be one-way traffic. Unless something has been way off with Ivloyev throughout this camp, throughout his recovery from his knee injury, things of that nature, he is a minus 700 favorite and he is deservedly a minus 700 favorite. This should be a showcase opportunity for the talented Russian. I think he comes out and gets a stoppage. I think he will be pushing to come out and get a stoppage, get a dominant performance, remind everybody that he is very much a threat in this weight class and then move forward from there in the second half of the year. Main card opener, Crone Gracie, returns after a three-year-plus hiatus to take on Charles Jordan. My pick is Jordan, and I'm a little uneasy about it because Charles Jordan hasn't been particularly consistent. I So I paused there, and I had that little hiccup because in my head, I always refer to him as Charlie Hustle. It's from The Italian Job, the remake with Mark Wahlberg. It's just a thing. This is the way my brain works. Anybody named Charles automatically becomes Charlie Hustle. So I was going to say Charlie Hustle, and then you wouldn't know what I was talking about, but you do now. So Charlie Hustle hasn't been particularly consistent throughout his UFC run. He's 5-4-1, and one, I believe, over the course of his UFC career. There's been some good performances, but there's been some middling performances as well. Crone Gracie is a dangerous dude. If you try to grapple with this man, he is going to get your neck. He is going to get a limb. He is going to finish you. Now, he's also been off for three plus years and been through changing, moving states, relocating, setting up a new gym, getting settled, all of these different things. And I do think that Charles Jordan, skill for skill, in terms of the completeness of his game, can go out there and win a striking battle make sure he maintains some range, make sure he stays away and avoids all the grappling exchanges and the attempts that Crone Gracie is undeniably going to make to turn this into a grappling match. But I do think Gracie's a live dog here. I do think there's some, there's some underdog value if you want to get there. And I'll, I'll touch on that on the betting show. I teaser, I don't have any plays in this fight for that exact reason, but I'm picking Jordan. I'm picking the Canadian to get back in the win column get moving forward, get a victory over a established name. That Gracie name still carries weight, even though Crone himself doesn't necessarily worry about it these days, but I'm uncomfortable about it. Move to the prelims, which closed with Drew Dober and Matt Frivola in the lightweight division. My pick here is Drew Dober. With all due respect to Matt Frivola, who I think is, is sort of like a Drew Dober light. Right, I think he's kind of the the direct-to-DVD version of Drew Dober. And if kids these days don't remember what DVDs are, back in the day, there were good movies that went to theaters, and then there were like the knockoff version that went straight to DVD. That's who I think Matt Frivola is to Drew Dober. And I think Drew Dober gets the victory. I think he can win this fight in any number of ways. If Matt Frivola wants to come out and bang, as he often does, I think Drew Dober is more technical and can pick him apart. If he wants to wrestle and scramble and grapple a little bit, I think Drew Dober can beat him there as well as the more athletic guy. Overall, I think Drew Dober gets a four straight win. I think it's a finish because Frivola is sort of a killer be killed type of fighter, even though he hasn't necessarily 
been finished outside of that fight with Terrence McKinney in the UFC. And that includes a short notice sort of catch weight, throw a fight together with Armin Saryukin a couple years back. But I think Drew, Drew Dober is just right in that wheelhouse, right in that sweet spot of his career right now, where he knows what to do. He knows who he is. He knows how to put everything together. And he's going to come out and get himself a four straight victory, maintain his place in the lower third of the lightweight division, in the lightweight rankings, excuse me, and then secure himself another fun fight in the second half of the year, or another two fun fights later this year. He turns down boring fights, and I love that about him. Everybody should love that about him. I think he gets another victory. Can't wait to see that one on Saturday. Light heavyweights Kennedy and Zechiku and Devin Clark. My pick is in Zechiku, and I'm a little bit hesitant about it because Kennedy has been much similar to Charles Jordan, sort of an inconsistent fighter at times in spots in his UFC career. Now, I do believe, as I said on Wednesday on, on one question, that he's starting to connect the dots, that he's starting to put it together and that this could very well be sort of the launch pad for bigger and better for Kennedy and Zechiko. I think his win over Iwan Kutilaba last time out is going to age fairly well, given that Kutilaba has already come back and jumped into the win column. I think he can go out here and dominate this fight, use his length, use his range, use his power against a guy in Devin Clark that is consistent in terms of his approach, consistent in being a tough out, but not somebody that is going to come out there and put you out and put you away, that you have to worry about great big power, that you have to worry about, you know, a, an assortment of submissions on the ground or things like that. Devin Clark is a wrestler and a grinder with gigantic redwood sized thighs. And I think Kennedy and Zechiku can go out and be the more powerful be the more dynamic, the more effective striker of the two and get himself another victory. We shift to welterweight. Chaos Williams returns against Rolando Badoya, making his UFC debut. This is a Chaos Williams showcase fight to me, if he's going to be anything or anybody in this division. That was my question on Wednesday for one question. I feel like looking at Badoya, looking at who he's fought, who he's competed against over his career, this is a gigantic step up in competition. And now maybe I'm overrating Chaos Williams in terms of where he fits in the division. Maybe I'm still hanging on that those, those knockouts of Alex Morono and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. But going to a split decision with Randy, Randy Brown last time out is a good result, is a telling result to me. His other losses to Michelle Pejea by decision as well in another fight that was relatively close. And so I think Chaos Williams is somebody that lives in the second 15 in the welterweight division and has the upside, has the athleticism, the explosiveness to creep into that lower third of the rankings, to make it into that top 50. And I think we see that on Saturday against Bedoya. I think this should be a fight where Chaos Williams comes out and sort of reminds us, harkens back to those first couple UFC appearances and gets a great big victory. Move back to the strawweight division, Marina Rodriguez and Werner Jandiroba in an all-Brazilian battle, my pick of course, is Marina Rodriguez. I just think skill for skill, in terms of totality of their game, this shapes up well for Marina Rodriguez. Now, if it goes to the ground, Verne Jandiroba is certainly the more accomplished Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. She will do well from top position. She has very good control. We've seen that in some of her wins thus far in the UFC. 
But we've also seen Marina Rodriguez have success off her back in the fight with Carla Esparza, who is a fighter that likes to just maintain top control. Jandy Doba is, is a little more aggressive than that. But I think that this fight ends up playing out on the feet because Rodriguez does well to move well. She's very good at using her kicks and her jab to keep people at range. And I think that's what we see here. I think we see 15 minutes or less of Marina Rodriguez picking apart her countrywoman, picking apart her compatriot, getting herself back into the win column after that loss to Amanda Lemos last year, get herself moving in the right division, steady herself in the right direction, excuse me, steady herself in this division and put herself back in line to work towards a championship opportunity. Jendi Doba is a live dog here as well. I know my guy, Sean Sheehan, on his show over on Sherdog, the Sheehan show, his betting picks this week, Jendi Doba was one of his selections as a underdog, as a bit of a flyer. But I like Rodriguez here. I think she gets it done. And we'll talk about her more on the betting, on, on my betting show a little later. Move to the fight pass prelims, which wrap in the heavyweight division. Braxton Smith making his UFC debut on a five-fight winning streak against Parker Porter. My pick here is Porter. And I think this simply comes down to Braxton Smith is a guy that took eight years off, excuse me, from MMA. He lost his debut to Chase Sherman in 2014, took eight years off, came back late last year, and has subsequently won five straight fights, all by stoppage in the first round. The longest one of them has been is two minutes and four seconds. He's beaten the same guy twice. All of them are by knockouts. And I've watched a bunch of them. And it's just big boys throwing big blows. There's no technique. There's no form. There's no fundamentals. It is just big, strong athletes throwing hammers. And that's not going to cut it against Parker Porter. As limited as Porter is in certain regards, as just a big, burly man from, from New England, he knows what he's doing in there. He knows that, look, I can get this guy against the fence, against the wall, in the clinch, drag him to the ground, and then his power is neutralized. Then he's a fish out of water. And I think that's exactly what happens. I think this is a fight where Porter needs to absolutely mind his P's and Q's and not get hit with one of these big winging shots. There's a fight, the first fight, I believe, with Braxton Smith and a gentleman named Ja'Cory Savage. Savage is coming forward and coming forward and looks like he's having success and gets Smith hurt a little bit, and Smith just fires off a right hand that puts him down. Parker Porter needs to be aware of that and be mindful of that. But so long as he can avoid that and get this to three minutes in, I think he, I think he rolls from there. Move to middleweight, Phil Hawes and Ikram Aleskiev, Aleskarov, excuse me. My pick is Aleskarov. And it's a little bit because I don't trust Phil Hawes as much as he is one of the guys I can't quit because I like his power, I like his athleticism. I remember back in the day when he was training at Jackson Wink and was one of the main training partners for John Jones, hearing that this is a guy that we got to pay attention to. He's on the come up. It's going to be somebody that we're going to hear from. And it just quite hasn't panned out. But I just think that Aliskarov can, can replicate some of what Roman Delize did in his fight with Phil Haas. Now, that fight ended in a knockout. But before that, Delize had success grappling with Phil Haas, who is a good wrestler, but can be overpowered, can be somebody that you can put him in some bad spots and drag him to the ground if you're a superior grappler. And I would wager that the former combat Sambo world champion, Aliskarov, is the better grappler here. 
And so I think he gets him to the ground. I think he finds a way to get this done. Phil Hawes, for all of his knockout power, is also a little bit chinny. I think we see a finish. I think the newcomer gets a victory. I'm not 100% sold on it. It's not a fight that I would want to make a wager on, as I'll get to on the betting show after this. But I think Aliskarov gets it done. Stick with newcomers, Hafiel Estevam against Jalgas Jumagulov, who is sporting a Patty the Batty style haircut with a little bit of like chin whiskers as well. It, it, it looks dope, I gotta say. I'm, I'm kind of into it. He tweeted about wanting the same judges as Patty. Maybe that's why he's rocking the hair. Unfortunately, I don't think he's gonna need the judges. I don't think we're gonna see the judges in this one because I think Estevam is actually somebody that's going to be a person of interest in the flyweight division going forward. I'm picking him to get the victory. I think he actually comes out and gets a finish, most likely on the ground. Undefeated Nova Uniao product, 26 years old, looked very good on the contender series. He's one of the guys from last year that watching this season and, and detailing the season, recapping the season on the website, there's certain people that stand out. There's certain people that stick out. And Esteban was one of them. It was a very good performance against Zhao Elias. I think he has another one on Saturday to get his first UFC win and get his first UFC finish. Move back, wrap up in the middleweight division as we lost the Daniel Santos, Johnny Munoz Jr. fight. Santos injured. Shouts to my guy Wiley Cat. Get better soon. Get back in there. Look forward to rebooking that fight. We get Joe Holmes and Claudio Hibero to close things out. And my pick is ugly man Joe, even though he missed weight by three pounds, which is not great. I was picking him regardless. I I would imagine, I would assume that Joseph Holmes tried to lose the weight. Something happened. It is what it is. I'm not a fan of weight cutting, as you know, as my guy Harry would say, F weight cutting. But I do think skill for skill, this is a fight where Joseph Holmes can be the bigger, more physical guy, drag this fight to the fence and then the canvas and get himself a victory. We saw Claudio Hibero get controlled along the fence by Abdul Razak Al-Hassan last time out. Now, Al-Hassan is a judoka. He's a big, strong man, understands how to use his body and leverage and positioning and things of that nature. But Hibero wasn't able to get anywhere in that fight. And then in the second round, Al-Hassan came out, put him right back there and got the finish. I think Joe Holmes can do the same thing. We've seen him do it already. Again, it was to Alan Amadoski, and so you've got to take that with a giant salt lick. But I don't know that Claudio Hibero is that much better. I haven't seen enough of him in his contender series fight, in his first appearance in the UFC, to believe that he's that much further ahead than Alan Amadoski or than Joseph Holmes here. And so I'm going to pick Ugly Man Joe to get his second UFC win and get this moving in the right direction again after a loss last time out. That's it for the predictions. Oh and oh, back at Keyboard Kimura. We're keeping track. Start of every show, I will let you know how we did the week before or the event before in lieu of weekends where we don't have fights, which are few and far between for the rest of the year. I'm excited, man. This fight card has been at the top of my radar for a while. I love it. I know there are some people that aren't sold on it. This is a great fight card. It is going to be a great night of fights. I hope you check it out. I hope you're enjoying the return of Keyboard Kimura and these videos and these podcasts if you're listening through the podcast apps or checking it all out on Substack. Hit the QR code to subscribe to the Substack. I greatly appreciate it. Five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year or free. You miss out on the paywall stuff that is coming, but I appreciate it either way. Sign up 
anyway, I love having you guys checking out all of my content. I greatly appreciate, appreciate it. Check out the boys at one bone at one bone brand on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, go to the, go to the website, onebonebrand.com. Check out the gear. If you're purchasing stuff at checkout discount code ESK 20 to get 20% off. You will thank me later. You will love this stuff. It is the majority of my wardrobe these days. It is that good. I'm not just shilling. I wear it every day. I got it on now. It's the long sleeve. It's dope. You'll love it. All the boys at Severe, we sent them some stuff. They'll love it too. They love it too, as far as I know, as far as I've heard. You will love it as well. Check it out. Check out the Substack. Tune in a little later today for the betting show. I will be back with that. Clearing the books with that one as well. We're starting at zero. We're going to try to make some money, make you some money as well. Glad to be back, as I've said throughout, as you can hear my voice. I love you. I appreciate you. We'll talk to you again soon.